0: Scores! Gilmore scores! The the three left. Off the glass, to left corner to a Gilmore. A the left circle. Hasidiel with a
1: shot saved, made by Oliver. Gilmore rebound, another shot. They score! The Flames win it! Yeah, baby! They
2: score! And the sea of red erupts. Flames talk starts now on. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. All
1: right, let's get things going on this Monday, November 13th, 2023. Other shows are taking holiday schedules, not Flames Talk. We got too much to talk about Steinberg and Aaron Vickers from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio on this Monday, getting your uh, week going with lots of Flames topics on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, Vix? Oh, boy, do we have some stuff to get into, hey? Well, I just I, I feel like had we not done a show on this Monday, we would be missing another big flame story or delaying talking about another big flame story. Now, we definitely hit it on Friday and Saturday's postgame shows. Both are available now for you. Both have been consumed quite a bit. Friday, we were reacting live to Nikita Zadorov's trade request following a 5-4 shootout loss in Toronto. Then Saturday, we heard from Nikita following a 4-1 loss in Ottawa. And here we are on Monday, and Zadorov's future with the team remains a, a big topic. Before um. I'll, I'll kind of summarize everything I know and, and try to paint the entire picture of, of where I believe things stand and what I've been able to ascertain from a number of different uh, people I've spoken to. But how much did the whole thing catch you off guard on Friday night? How, how uh, taken aback were you following a really fun Hall of Fame game in Toronto that all of a sudden we're talking about this Kevin Weeks tweet and Nikita Zadorov's trade request?
3: It was a blindside hit, Pat. I'm not going to lie. I didn't have this one on my bingo card for November. And Nikita Zadorov trade request and the manner at which it unfolded, as you mentioned, in Toronto. And it wasn't even so much the week's tweet that I don't want to say Dan Milstein. It was the Dan Milstein who clips out the Zadorov hit. Here comes the Zadorov train. Get your hashtag forever tickets today. Like that's an elbow off the top
1: rope to an unsuspecting um, general manager, general manager, well, I guess. And, I, organization. and I, I do know that it completely. So, so here's, here's kind of what I understand. Break it down for me this because is, this is all that I've been able over the last 48 hours or so, just talking to different people and, and people that I trust. And here's, here's what I've been able to ascertain about where things sit on the Zidorov situation and how we got to this point on this Monday. So, Flames were definitely caught off guard on Friday, like you okay, were. Okay, like so I'm I not was. alone. No, there was no prior warning. There was no prior request made. The way I understand it is that somebody, whether it was me or Elliot or Frank or or whoever it was, somebody texted uh, and was like, "What's going on with this?" And that's how the the Flames found out about it. Um, that's how Craig Conroy found out about it was he found out about it the same way everybody else did just by spreading a social media post.
3: So you're saying he has Twitter and it's a burner account. It
1: It could be. I don't know if it was a text message. I don't know if it was somebody on the flight. I have no idea. So the flames definitely caught off guard. I do not get the sense that the Flames are in any rush to accommodate this trade request. Not because they've got sour grapes, not because they're upset with Dan Milstein or Nikita Zadorov, And you know what? If they were upset, you can understand it. But they're not in any rush to get things done because that doesn't help them as an organization. They by By doing this, this is what always makes my head hurt when Darren Ferris or Dan Milstein or Alan Walsh will go public with something like this is that hurts the team's ability to move the player. It hurts their leverage and then just delays the time. You're gonna go so much, you're gonna do so much better for your client, in my opinion, by doing this behind closed doors. And and doing it the way Michael Backlund has done it the last number of years. Now Michael signed and the captain, but there were some silent trade requests or some silent, yeah. You know what? If if you were to go in a different direction, we'd welcome that. But they never went public. They never went trade me. They never like it was all behind closed doors. It was done very quietly, and it worked out for the best because here. Michael is the team captain, but all going public does is delay the timeline. All it does is make the player uncomfortable. And all it does is put the team in a worse spot to trade you because it takes away some of their leverage. So I, so the flames are in no rush to get this done. They'll Craig Conroy has been patient the entire way with these things. And that's not going to change just because there's a public trade request out there from one of his defensemen he needs to be patient because you want to much like Noah Hannafin or Chris Tanev or Elias Lindholm or Tyler Toffoli you want to maximize your trade return and you want to make sure that you do what is best for your team so Zdorov's gonna have to play some games with this trade request hanging over oh, yeah he's already played one um and he's gonna have to keep playing with this trade request remember Sam Bennett when he Requested his trade in February of 2021. Prior to Daryl Sutter's hiring. Prior to Daryl Sutter's hiring, like he he must have played 30 games of that trade request. And then didn't that head. kind
3: of go away a little bit once Daryl was hired? Because I remember him saying he was surprised that he was moved when he was moved because he was playing under Daryl. I think he was playing a little bit better. I think he was actually, I don't know if it was a full rescinding of a trade request, no, but he was kind was... of surprised that he was moved. It was my interpretation of the events.
1: Well, and I mean, they, the Brad Tree Living took the trade request and went to work on it and then moved him at the trade deadline, but it didn't happen immediately. And yeah, things got better with Sam when Daryl was here, but that trade request was, was still on the table okay. as far as I know, and then he got moved to Florida and, and the rest is history. So... I don't, I don't think that we're talking about this getting done in the snap of a finger. No, And I don't think it needs to be done in the snap of a finger. The Flames need to slow play this one. They probably need to slow play this one and be deliberate about it more so than a lot of other ones because it's public now. Uh, we know there are teams interested. We know, like, Toronto's name has been thrown out enough. The agent has thrown Toronto's oh, name yeah. out. <laughs> Elliott has talked about Toronto ad nauseum, uh, including in the latest 32 Thoughts. I know Vancouver loves them. Um, Rick Dollywall out in Vancouver has been pushing that one and just talking to some different people. I know the Canucks covet Zadorov in a large way as well. Darren Dreger reported New Jersey's name out there. And uh, there's been a few other names that have been thrown into the pot as well. So that's where things sit from kind of a flame standpoint. Their timeline, no rush. They want to make sure that if they make a trade with this player, they're going to make the right trade and there's no reason to put the accelerator down unless it's going to be a trade that truly makes sense. They've got a price and they're going to wait for that price. We'll get into that in a second. Then there's the Zadorov side of things. I don't I don't believe Zadorov has had a change of heart in terms of how he feels about the city or how he feels about wanting to be here. We're going to hear from him from Saturday in just a second, but he's gone, going back to the end of last year. He said that he'd like to be here for life, and I believe that he still has a very large affinity for the city and, and the organization and all of that. What I think has happened is that because the Flames are now in wait-and-see mode, and because the flames prioritized Hannafin and Lindholm throughout the summertime and trying to figure out what they were going to do before they made any contract uh, decisions with other players, like Zadorov and Tanev, because of that, I think that that has stalled any type of contract negotiations. I, I think the Zadorov camp has, has gone and floated. Hey, we'd like, we'd like to sign a long-term deal here. Like We'd like to sign a six or a seven or an eight. We'd like to meaningfully make this the place that, that Nikita stays for his entire career. But because the Flames have been in wait-and-see mode, that hasn't been a conversation they were willing to have at this point. And so now without a contract in a contract year with an opportunity for his biggest contract ever and playing as the number five defenseman, I think the, the player and the agent look at it and say, well, if we're going to maximize, maybe a change of scenery is what's going to need to happen. If they're not, if, if there's no contract talks happening and you're playing on the third pair, Maybe this is the way that we need to go. I think that's kind of where things are on the players' side of things. So you mix no contract with being the number five, kind of averaging 15 to 17 minutes a night. In a contract year, here we are. It's another distraction the Flames sure as hell didn't need. So that's kind of... What I've been able to piece together from a few different spots, that's kind of where things sit on the Zdorov front right now.
3: I'm going to lean on you a little bit on this, but I want to float this by you and tell me if you see some parallels, no parallels, or a lot of parallels. Because listening to you detail a lot of the elements that you just did, to me it sounds a little bit like the Tyler Toffoli situation where you're going into the summer and yes, your priority is going to be Elias Lindholm and it's going to be uh, Noah Hannafin. And my impression always kind of seemed to be um, Tyler Toffoli didn't like being pushed down the depth chart, if you will, in terms of order of importance and figuring out what we're going to do. And so Tyler Toffoli gets dealt. Get into camp, things starting to roll. You hear some positive things about the progress on Elias Lindholm. You hear some positive stuff about the potential of Noah Hannafin. And then you start the way you start. And by all means, the Calgary Flames should pause any and all contract negotiations. But you've got Chris Tanev and you've got Nikita Zadorov that are also in the same boat. And so Nikita Zadorov and or his camp, whether it's himself, whether it's Milstein. We're not talking contract right now. We want to be talking contract. Sure, we're all for a long-term contract in Calgary, as you mentioned. Like the opinion hasn't changed on Calgary, but the combination of being Lower down the depth chart, and maybe having an ask that doesn't match up where Nikita Zadorov's role fits in Calgary. Like, are all these things parallels to a certain degree in what you're feeling or what your your uh, intuition slash resources told you on the Tyler Toffoli front versus the Nikita Zadorov front? In in the sense of like, are there similar? If I'm not going to be a priority. I want to be somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I think there's, I, I think there's, I think there's a little bit to. I, I think it's kind of half and half. Like I think there, there's that, and I think there's the ice time side of things. Uh, the fact that because Toffoli would have been a top, had, had Toffoli, Toffoli's role would have been top line right wing. Exactly.
3: So that wasn't changing.
1: Whereas right now we're you know, fifteen games into a season, whatever, fourteen games into a season, whatever it is, and. Zadorov is is very clearly a third pairing D on this team. When everybody's healthy, it's Anderson, Weiger, Hannafin, Tanev is your top right. four, and and even Zadorov and, and West pointed this out last week. Even Zadorov's penalty killing role has has been dialed back a little bit, so his ice time just isn't maybe where he wants it to be, and. I, I, don't really, I don't really begrudge either side. Begrudge is the wrong word. I don't really criticize either side for where things are right now. Because on the Zadorov front, you're like, well, I've got this opportunity to sign a big time contract. I've got this opportunity to hit it big for the first time in my NHL career, but that's not being pushed forward by being a number five defenseman. And the team that I really want to be with isn't interested right now in having long term contract negotiations. So you're like, "Well, maybe the best thing is for me to go in a different direction, and then, on the flame side of things, you're like, "Well, we like Nikita. we're willing to have a conversation at some point, but right now we need to see exactly where we're going we're not We're not ready. The flames should not be ready to sign a six year contract with anybody as it stands right now. Nikita Zadorov or Elias Lindholm or anybody else they They should not be." they should not be having those types of conversations when things are as tenuous and a pivot right. point seems as as close to happening as they are right now. So, I don't think either side's in the run. The only thing I don't understand is why you had to blow it up because it puts Nikita in a tough spot. I truly believe that my my kind of my guess is that Zadorov and his agent talked about it and Zadorov said yeah, let's push this forward however you want to do it. Knew who his agent was. Knew that Dan Milstein might go public with it. I don't think that Zadorov said, please put a tweet out with Leafs forever. And <laughs> say that I'm the best D and leak it to Kevin Weeks. I don't think he said that. My, my guess is Nikita said, you're my agent. Let's see if we can't get a change of scenery. I'll leave it in your hands. And knew how his agent may or may not go about it. That's kind of how... That's that's my guess as to how we're at this point. Let's let's hear from Zadorov. This was him on Saturday following a four loss, four one loss in Ottawa. Uh, the Flames opted not to make him available prior to the game, but did make him available post game, and uh, he spoke with reporters, uh, mostly Ryan Leslie, a little bit Julian McKenzie, uh, on the road in Ottawa.
2: I am supporting. Obviously, it's my agent. Um, I mean, I have to support him. Um, that was his decision to make that tweet. I mean, he definitely wants to protect me, wants the best opportunity for myself, you know, so I think he's definitely helping me in that situation. Uh, I mean, um, that's your job to discuss and all that stuff. I mean, you understand there's a lot of business stuff going on and everything, you know, hopefully I cannot... Probably talk about 90% of that. It's you guys can only see 10%. What's going on actually behind the court curtains? But I mean, I I love my time being Calgary Flame. I'm enjoying it every day. I love the fans. I love the city. Um, I mean, like I said last summer, you know, like I would love to be Calgary Flame for my whole life. Um, but I mean, the business side, sometimes stuff happens, you know. So I mean, we just gotta. Um, I mean, my agent's got to protect me at some points for sure.
1: Have you, have you in fact, asked for a trade?
2: Um, well, we, we, we've been discussing it. Like I said, I cannot really say a lot of stuff, you know. Maybe it's going to be time when I'm going to be able to share it with you, for sure.
3: In relation to the tweet, how do you feel about your
2: ice time? Well, I mean, you know, I'm not controlling it. I can feel wherever I want, but the coaches are controlling it. You know, like my job is go up there and compete. I mean, that's I think that's what I'm bringing every night. You know, at the end of the day, it's my 11th uh, year in the league and it's all about my teammates right now. So I feel like uh, uh, that's not a really proper situation for a team right now, for sure, you know, in this regards. And I mean... I would be pissed if I would be them if I see that from my teammate, but I hope to understand one day for sure and, I mean, I'm, I've am been focusing on being a great teammate my whole life, you know, I think if you ask the guys around the league who played with me, I hope nobody said a bad word about me, you know, I would always step in for the guy, I would always help, I would always be for the guy and I would always kill for any of my teammates on the ice. And that's what I'm gonna keep going, keep doing it every night. I get opportunity to play in this league and be humble.
1: So there is Nikita Zadorov post game on Saturday addressing his trade request. I, I do think there's been a couple of times this year where Zadorov, being outspoken and and making some waves through us in the media, there's been a little bit of like we've got enough distractions. I so I think there's been a little bit of that going on. I certainly think with this trade request, there's been a little bit. Do we need like? we've got enough going on suspensions and injuries and all what's swirling around with Hannafin and Lindholm and their futures. And now this, I do know that there is a little bit of from all different levels of players, coaches, management, like uncle enough. already. <laughs> it's November 13th. Uh, so the, the flames did not need this distraction, but I do give, I, I know there was a lot of criticism on Nikita Saturday for basically saying, well, it's my agent's decision. He decided to do that. And I get that. Again, that's why I said my belief is that he said it's in your hands. Take it however you want to take it and was prepared for this, but didn't necessarily say, please go do this. But I do. I, I like the way that he addressed that. Yeah, this might piss off my teammates and I'd be pissed too if this was the situation, but I hope they can understand one day. I guess in the end, I don't really think, I don't think there's a bad guy in this situation. I just think that the way maybe it was handled could have been a little bit better served to be behind closed doors. And then you don't have Steinberg and Vickers and the text line and everybody else talking about it. You don't have people suggesting that Zadorov should be sitting out to protect the trade asset. You don't have Nikita having like, you telling me that Zadorov's brutal game against the Senators didn't oh. have directly to do with this? Of course it did. He was awful. That was the worst game he's played in like a year. I, I haven't seen Zadorov play that poor in a long time. You, 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 there is zero coincidence that it happened less than 24 hours after that trade request became public. Of course it did. It now puts a ton of pressure and an undue spotlight or an unneeded spotlight on the player. And so... It's the only thing I disagree with is taking it public. The reasoning behind a trade request. Sure. I get it. The reasoning behind the flames, not signing him to a contract yet. Sure. I get it. This probably could have been served better not to put this thing out into the uh, Twitter sphere. Like it has been,
3: I'm going to wander around all over the place. And hopefully at some point this starts making sense, but this is Nikita Zdorov three weeks ago. We have too many individuals playing by themselves. We've got to figure out if we want to play as a team or if we want to play as our own guy. Now, he said shortly afterwards that it was kind of taken out of context by media, but whether he had his agent do it, he clearly had discussions with his agent about a potential trade out of Calgary. That's a very me first kind of request, and I do understand it from a player perspective. He's well within his rights to ask At the same time the team's in no obligation to oblige him on his request. He's under contract for the balance of the season. This is going to be done on Craig Conroy's timeline, not Nikita Zadorov's timeline or Dan Milstein's timeline. You definitely don't sit him and you don't bend to the will of all due respect, your number five defenseman. Zadorov says he has to support his agent. No, you don't. You pay him. It's not the other way around. You could have said your agent stepped over the line or did this uh, on his own without any consultation whatsoever, whether you believe it did or not, whether that's how it happened or not. He didn't walk back the trade request at all. And yeah, to quote Nikita Zadorov, I would be pissed if I saw that from a teammate. Well, his teammates have every right, especially going back three weeks ago, talking about too many individuals. Now you're in this situation where a very public trade request is out. Your agent is hashtagging the Toronto Maple Leafs, calling you the best defenseman on the team. All while, not necessarily the sky's falling all around the entire team, but you look at injury situation and players not playing up to expectation and the record and where you sit in the Pacific division and Western conference. Like this is the last thing the Calgary flames needed. And at the same time, I understand the agent's motivation here as well, because he wants his client move to a more ideal situation as soon as possible to gather as much value when it comes to the open market, when he becomes an unrestricted free agent to maximize what it might be his last, big kick at, at a massive deal. It'll be 29 by the time it's signed. So if you sign a five-year deal, okay, he gets to 34. He came into the league at 18. There's going to be a lot of miles on that body. Who knows what he's worth in five years time from now, six years time from now. So you want to get your client cashed in as much as possible. But at the same time, like this is the last thing the Calgary Flames needed. Probably the last thing Nikita Zadorov needed. And it could have been handled a much better way. I really, opinion.
1: I really do believe it could have. Um, now, because the flames have less leverage for the time being I, I, that's not a permanent thing but like 48 72 hours after a public trade request is probably not the best time to trade a player
3: the only thing i would counter with that is if you can get enough teams interested it creates and i don't even want to say an artificial bidding war but if all of a sudden four teams go oh you need to get rid of him then maybe you can start playing teams off yeah each but other. are they
1: all throwing you anvils Probably
3: because they be but they would be throwing those anyways at this point with the but Calvary Flames sitting where as, they are in the think As standings. you move
1: closer to the deadline and as you move closer to teams needing a player like and Nikita. Zdorov, the look, Nikita would help pretty much any team he would help any team he goes to, whether Absolutely. he's playing in a third pairing role or a second, whatever. He is a big physical, good skating defenseman. There's a lot there with Nikita. He makes mistakes. Perhaps the penalties are a little bit too high this year, but he still is is a good player to add to a team. So you shouldn't be willing to take anvils just right. because the guy has, or, or his agent has has put a trade request out there. And that would be my worry is that, well, we'll give you this anvil. Oh, wait a second. We'll give you this anvil, but it's got a wig on it. And, oh, you know what? This anvil's got a wig and lipstick. You're like, okay. Which, which
3: anvil has a third round pick attached to it? Any of them?
1: I probably not a ton of them right now. Fair enough. I. I think you can get a second and a third for this guy if you wait. I think you can get a nice return for Zadorov if you wait, and and if you get away from this vortex, like move away from this vortex, get into a spot where he is comfortable playing with this, and and let's let it let it move past. We're we're not going to forget the trade request, but let's move past the immediacy of it. Let him settle back in. Let the team. Actually, start to have some meaningful conversations and not be panicked and completely caught off guard. And like maybe it's early January or maybe it's mid-December. But like right now, I don't think it makes a ton of sense for the Flames to make a deal unless there's something that that truly comes to pass. And they they played him on um they, they played him on Saturday. He was back on a pair with D Simone at practice on Monday. He's gonna play Tuesday in Montreal. Like I just The Flames aren't in any rush. They'll make the deal on their timeline. Maybe that is Wednesday. As they should. Maybe that's not until December, or maybe that's not until the trade deadline, but I believe that is the way they should be going about
3: it. 100%. It's Craig Conroy's timeline. It's not Nikita Zadorov's timeline, and that's just basically the bottom line. And I understand, again, Dan Milstein going about this, trying to create more urgency in moving his client to another location. That's why you make it public to put pressure on the organization, not so much the player. But at the same time, he's your number five defenseman. And you, you look after your team before you look after the interests of the player. And if you're not getting what you need on Monday, November 13th, and you think you might, whether it's December, January, or right up before the trade deadline, yep. the general manager's duty is to get the best return for the team, not put the player in his most ideal situation.
1: Uh, let's hit the text line at 960-960. This stuff uh, from Birdie and Highwood. Is the Z thing a ham-fisted approach at getting leverage? An attempt to get the Flames to get off the pot and start talking. Bring that uncertainty to a conclusion either way. If so, it's a shame it went public and a miscalculation, in my opinion. No issue if he asks for a trade, but how you do it is important. Sounds like someone from his quotes who wants to know if he's staying long term or whether he needs to make another move i'm sure that didn't help in the room on saturday so just as things are looking better suddenly there's something stinky in the dressing room again whatever happens flames will surely take their time unless someone brings a haul that the club likes quickly go flames p.s i won't boo him thursday gotta support the team through this so that's from birdie and highwood i think there. i think absolutely this is whether it's ham-fisted or not I love that term. Once
3: I figure out what exactly it means, I'll comment. I I might have to fire up the old Google machine on that.
1: Um, If you describe someone uh, as ham-fisted, you mean that they are clumsy, Ah. especially in the way they use their hands. Oh, I'm so going to steal that. Um, So I don't know if it was ham-fisted or not, but I do think it was an attempt to put a little bit more leverage on the player side of things, no doubt about it. Uh, Matt and Cochran says, Zdorov's PK times dialed back because the team's usually killing (laughs) his penalties. I
3: mean... Touche.
1: Uh, this uh, says the way the Flames issues are going, team results, contracts, and now the Zadorov situation. I feel for Craig Conroy. Uh, what Harry has left may fall out or be gray in no time. Tough spot for a new GM. Got to be harder than any other GM outside of San Jose and Edmonton. He has walked into a very difficult situation. And I actually don't mind the way he's handled it. The fact that he's been patient and hasn't been bullied around, I think is is a good thing. And I think that that approach will serve him really well with this situation as well.
3: Yeah, no disagreement. Again, be patient. Bide your time. If you can start amassing a bidding war and, okay, well, this team will give me this asset. What are you going to ante up with? Okay, is it time to call? or Are you going to raise your offer as well? Like, this is the role. This is the job is to maximize your assets, whether that's on the ice or via trade. And And Craig Conroy has no choice, really, but to ride this out until he gets an offer that he feels is going to be the top one.
1: Uh, Dale Drum Drumheller says I guarantee the only reason Zadorov and Milstein asked for a trade is to get him playing a few more minutes so that his uh, next contract can get him a couple million dollars. Uh, a couple million dollar raise rather. It's too bad they can't just trade Hannafin or Tanev or both and give him those minutes since he actually wants to be here through this rebuild. This says guys the bottom line is that Zadorov's going to want to raise to sign in Calgary or anywhere else and he's not worth greater than 3.75 mil per year so there's a reason he's not not extended in Calgary he's gone and Mick says Zadorov loves the media and being the center of attention he has all the physical tools but lacks elsewhere he has to be moved but there's no rush wait for the best deal Zadorov could bring a first round pick there's just a little bit of the response on the text line at 960 960 the last thing I'll say about Nikita is that I I don't think any of the way he goes about his business is calculated he's just a very emotional guy who sh- speaks honestly and and sometimes i i like for instance when he talked about the individual things and the no excuses and daryl's gone and all that i don't think that was calculated at all i just think he was asked a question and he was being honest at the time but sometimes i think that that can be like we got enough distractions can you leave that internal i think there's been a little bit of that since some of those comments have been made over the last number of weeks
3: He's very much a, have a question, ask a question. He'll give you his honest answer. Yeah. And it's refreshing, to be perfectly honest. There's not a lot of guys left in the league that are pretty candid the way that Nikita Zadorov is. But at the same time, that also is how certain things get out that might rub teammates the wrong way. The latest one being trade me now.
1: Yeah. Don't think it's quite Patrick Waugh coming off the bench. It's not Denny Lemieux yeah I don't think it's quite that
3: right but well his agent sure seems to be trying to expedite it as quickly as possible based on the tweets that's the only thing I can extrapolate oh, from, sure. from that approach and
1: Dan Milstein is there is no he's co- a veteran there's no coincidence as to when the tweet came out the day after they played in Toronto the day before they're on national TV on, on hockey night of course it was timed that way he well, knew was, exactly what he was doing it was ten minutes after the game 10, ended. Sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, minutes after the Toronto game, ahead of the next day's game on national TV on Hockey Night, he knew what he was doing.
3: There might have been some stuff for Elliot and the crew to talk about during the Saturday night game.
1: Precisely. Everybody knows when Saturday headlines goes. Everybody knows when the most eyes are on hockey. The Flames were just in the center of the hockey universe yep. as much as we hate we hate the fact that that can be I mean, the you case almost sometimes. have
3: to appreciate it on a certain level for being so cerebral. You want to so talk cerebral. about something
1: that's calculated? That yep. was calculated.
3: 100%. Can't disagree with it.
1: Vickers Steinberg, this hour of Flames Talk from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Downtown Studio. Your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's hockey station,
2: Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
1: It's a Monday, which means it's time to focus in on the future of the Flames, brought to you by Oncolytics Biotech fighting cancer by unleashing the power of the immune system. To learn about, to learn more about how they believe they can give patients more time, visit oncolyticsbiotech.com. It's Pat Steinberg along with you. Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. And on a Monday, we say hello to the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers, Trent Cull, whose team uh, went two for two on the road this weekend. 8-3 Friday night on the road in San Diego. The following night against that Coachella Valley wagon, a 4-1 win in Palm springs the wranglers now eight one and one to start the season and have the number one points percentage in the american hockey league we say hello to head coach trent Cole right now coach how are we doing today
0: <laughs> doing well boys how are you guys doing
1: doing well doing really well i would imagine uh, you were pretty happy with uh, your group's weekend in california
0: yeah. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, it's always nice to visit California for a little, a uh, little sun and uh, you know, not that it was a, it was a fun trip, but uh, you know, I thought, uh, I thought our team played really well in San Diego. I mean, it was kind of a game, like I think it was two minutes into the second period. We actually had back to back five on threes. We hadn't even barely had a five on three this year. And anyways, we scored on both and uh, it was six, nothing at that point. So it was a bit of a, uh, runaway game, which is you know, it's a tough to kind of keep a lid on those. And uh, but then uh, and I and I thought that you know, back to back with travel, going into Coachella Valley, they're a pretty good team. And uh, I thought Oscar was our best player. Uh, he was really good for us, and uh, and you know, kind of weathered the storm a little bit with them. And, and I thought we uh, found a way to win. So I was pretty happy with it all. Yeah.
1: Well, and and I know when we spoke with you last week and and the most recent game, the last time we spoke was the Sunday afternoon loss at home. And and you're like, hey, look, I mean, yeah, we're off to a great start, but we we did not like losing and we didn't like the way we played. And it's time to get back to work. How, How did you like the way your group attacked practice and then carried that over into these two games on the road?
0: it was good. I mean, I uh, just, uh, just being honest, uh, we had, we talked about being greasy, talking about finding a way to score goals. And, uh, you know, at this level, you know, you, you've got to be in the paint. You've got to be, uh, and you've got to win the paint battles in defensive zone as well. Right. So that's a big, always been a big thing with, with teams that have coached. And, and I know that we really kind of went after that a big, uh, last week. And, and I thought we, we saw that like with all of a sudden you're scoring eight goals. I mean, it's crazy, but, uh, but you know what, but, our attention to detail was good. And then even, you know, the next night, like, we had to weather some storms. I mean, Coachella had it hemmed in a few times and, you know, and long changes the second period and a few in the third. They're really pushing there. But uh, I thought we did a decent job of hanging in there, sticking with our guns, and our structure was good and deep zone coverage. We you know, kind of pushed them to the outside, I thought, a little bit more. And then uh, and we capitalized on the opportunities that we had.
1: What uh that, that's that's never an easy spot to go into Palm Springs and and play that Coachella Valley team. We know how far they went last year. We we know that they uh they eliminated the Wranglers in the postseason last year. That is a tough place to play. What uh how, especially on the second half of back-to-back you you must you talked about Oscar but just the overall team's battle level it sure did sound like you guys were were really high in that regard.
0: Yeah. No, you know what? I thought we had a really good start. Uh we had uh I think about twelve minutes of the first period. I thought we were we were game ready sharp even even though we traveled, et cetera, from the night before. And I thought we, we had a really good start to that game. And then you know, there's a couple penalties. Of course we're always seen like the one we're the take the penalties, but uh so they get a little momentum off that. I mean I thought we did a good job with the kill again and uh but uh you know and then in the second period sometimes you get hemmed in a little bit, but we had some opportunities too and we, we stuck with it and got a couple good, you know, goals at the end of the period, so great timing of that. All of a sudden, you're down by one, then, you know, the first, and then all of a sudden, you lead the second up to one with the last three minutes, two goals. So, And then I thought in the third, it's nice, like, um, we're working on that identity and the things that we do every day, those habits, and, you know, the things, if we keep doing them and sticking with them, you know, then all of a sudden, we know, the one t- thing about the team is they have some swagger. They have a, like they, they feel good about they can win games and we get up, we you know we got good goaltending. Uh, you know, I think we're getting better every day with our, our systems and, and D zone coverage and what we're doing offensively. And uh, and once you kind of start relying on that, and you have confidence in it, then I start you start to see them do some good things.
1: Uh, you were uh, you were with the Canucks in the NHL last year, so that would have been that would have been your first game in Palm Springs, coaching in Coachella Valley. Just what were your uh, what were your impressions of one of the top rivals of the Wranglers?
0: It's, it is. You know what? It's a pretty good atmosphere. You know, it, like you said, it's my first time. So it's in the middle of the desert. You know, we drove in there at night. I didn't know anything about it. And then you, sit, you wake up the next morning, you're like, oh, there, it really is in the middle of the desert, you know? And so and then there's this, you know, big rink right in the middle of it all and, and a lot of resorts, et cetera. But it was really good. Like, uh, there was a lot of fans there, that's for sure. They were, they were into it. They were jumping, you know what I mean? So I thought it was, uh, like you said, it's not an easy place to go into probably most of the players knew that. I did not. Um, but uh, but I, I loved how the guys played, and we stuck with it.
1: We're chatting with Trent Cull. He is the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers. Joins us Mondays on Flames Talk. It's Pat and uh, Aaron Vickers. Aaron?
3: Coach, you touched on it a little bit, but uh, what can you tell me about the weekend that Oscar Dansk had? 30 saves against San Diego. Back-to-back games, as you mentioned. Stops 40 of 41. How strong was he for you?
0: He was really good. I mean, I... Uh the first night that's, I was kind of alluding to when I said it before, like when you're up by six, like, you know, 22 minutes into the game, you know, it's tough to keep your structure and stay dialed in. And so, and then the other team was really like, they were, uh, they were coming. It was five-man units, and we were still getting, you know, offensive opportunities. But there was some some breakdowns. You know, there was a lot of pressure coming, and uh, you know, they were trying to chase the game, which I understand at that point. So Oscar still had to be really good, and and he was good. And uh, so, and then, you know, I'm not saying Oscar's not a young guy, but he's not an old guy either. So right. then you're always worried about a goalie in a back-to-back situation. And I was just like, but uh, for my first time, like you guys said, going into Coachella as a, as a head coach, like. I wanted to make sure that we sending the message that we're trying to win these games. You know, we're trying to win this game, and I thought that I was really happy with my decision after the fact. I thought Oscar was really good for us, solid, just really simple and solid the second night, and and that's all the group needed. And the other guys kind of took care of it. And I thought it was I thought it was really good.
3: So I know he's not with you currently, but you've got Dustin Wolf with a 2.34 goals against and a 9.24 save. You got Oscar Dance, who's got a 1.95 goals against and a 9.44 save percentage. What's it like being a coach when you know you're going to get the goaltending that you've gotten so far this season?
0: You know what? I'm still rolling that around in my head. I, uh, uh, I I'm not used to that for sure. <laughs> Never mind that. Uh, like you said, like I know I know Wolfie's not here right now, but to have that one-two punch. Um, you know, I think I think Oscar's grown. Every time I see Oscar play again, I I feel more confident with him. Like Oscar, I coached against Oscar in junior hockey. You know, like 100 years ago, feels like in the OHL. Right. But um, and I just loved. I like his his compete when he comes to practice. I like how everything's going. And so when Wolfie's not here, I think it's a really good it was a really good opportunity. I think for for Oscar to take the ball and kind of run with it and. And he was awesome. And I think that's great. Like he, he's got, you know, safety and security in himself, and he'll, he should feel confident. And he was really good. So I was really happy with him being able to take it and kind of run with it. And, and now I got an issue, right? Now I got guys that are just playing great, which I think is, those are great problems to have as a head coach. That's for sure.
3: You kind of mentioned it. Oscar Dansk isn't young, but he's not old either, just being 29. What's the dynamic like between Dustin Wolf, who's one of the organization's top prospects, and Oscar Dansk, who's, who's giving you the performance and still has aspirations of being an NHL goalie? How have you seen those two kind of go together? I know the goaltending community, and, and it really is sort of a team tandem, but how have you seen Oscar and Dustin sort of interact with each other?
0: Uh, it's, it's been all good, and that's one thing I've I noticed about both of them, is uh, they're such pros. Like, they're some of the best pros we have on the team and just how they, every day, how they conduct themselves, how hard they work. Um, You know, sometimes, just a a little example, like we do a lot of little things at the end of practice. You know, practice is over, yet there's, you know, deer doing stuff and and forwards are doing extra work. And, like, and these guys, for guys that are, you know, uh, have played in the NHL and are, you know, wanting to try to get back to the NHL, like, they're down both ends. They're taking way more reps than probably should be. And they're working, they're still working and grinding. And and sometimes it's three on O's or situational play that maybe not happened for them, but they're in there and they're grinding away. And that's why when something like this happens, you're like, man, I, I want to go back with Oscar because he deserves it, you know, or, you know, if you got Wolfie well, going two nights in a row or whatever it is, I think it's just those things that you root for those guys because you know they're all in and then how they respond with each other is awesome. I think they're just too – consummate pros that are looking to help each other out, and I think it's a really good relationship.
1: We're chatting with Trent Cull, head coach of the Wranglers. Eight one and one after a two win two win weekend in California, uh, wins over San Diego and Coachella Valley, and three more points, six shots in those two games for Matt Coronado. He just feels like he just continues to to give your group a a, a real nice boost offensively. What uh, what can you tell us about Matt's weekend with your group?
0: I think that uh I feel like um uh, coming down, Dryden coming down was like the the piece that those two needed. And when I say those two I, I obviously are referring to Matt and also but to Cole Schwint as well. And I thought there was just that little extra swagger, you know, we you know, maybe we missed it a little bit with Zara not here or Fosby not here and, and so but you know, good for those guys. They're still doing a great job and so all of a sudden, you know, Huntsy comes back and he's, play, you know, he's got to get up and running and play some more minutes. And I think it was just kind of like the shot in the arm that those other two needed. And then I was like, I was like, I thought Matt had a really good weekend. You know what I mean? He he wants the puck. He wants to he wants to carry the puck. He wants to shoot the puck. So some really good things I think for for a young player seeing in him, uh, and he's getting a lot of ice time, all situations again. And I just. I thought Cole after maybe stepping back in the San Jose weekend, so we played San Jose at home before the weekend before. I didn't love his game. He was kind of in between, like what our whole team was, And I thought he was really solid for us this weekend. and, and just that line, I think was uh, was dynamic, but also really good defensively as well.
1: You mentioned Dryden Hunt, and he he immediately makes an impact for your group. And you talk about him kind of being the shot in the arm. He's just he's just a pro. He he spent the first chunk of the season with the Flames, comes and joins your group, jumps in, and and is immediately an impact maker. Like he he is just a a, a good pro at this point, isn't he?
0: Yeah, you know what? He's just that veteran presence that those other two I feel like needed. You know, and it's just like oh, perfect. You know, and she's as soon as I saw it, sometimes the coach are wondering if these guys are going to mix or not, and you know, you have hunches and instincts and whatever, and so, but then after like two shifts of the first night, I'm just like, oh, this is perfect, you know what I mean, and then I remember I was talking to Dryden, we got off the plane, and I'm like, so have you been playing PK, and you know, have you played in the past, and so like, we are just kind of mixing it in there, and so then he was taking some PK shifts as well, so I think it's good that He's all in, you know, and we get him all in and all of a sudden it helps our other guys be all in. And I think it was just, like I said, it was just kind of the perfect shot in the arm for our group.
1: Last individual I want to ask you about is Rory Karens. He's now played four games with your group this year. He's got a point in all four of them. So a nice four game point streak to start his AHL season. What, uh, what has he brought your group and, and what are your observations early on with, with Karens?
0: Yeah, you know what, um, so Rory sat out like, uh, I guess it's the first six games in a row, and uh, and what we've seen with Rory in the past is that, uh, you know, from junior hockey and East Coast, is, he's he is a guy who finds a way to get points, and so so you know, I thought he's been better every game he's played, and and then the other thing, and Rory, not unlike a lot of our group last weekend, there was like we needed to get more around our structure offensively or getting around the paint. And I talk about that. as just being greasy, you know, and that's like those things, like I said before, like Connor was really good at it. Martin was really good at it. And so that's something that I wanted Rory to do. And he's a coachable kid because he's doing the things that we're asking and we're teaching the guys to do. He goes out there and maybe he, he's gotten points because of that, but also his, his line mates, like I thought, you know, Ben Jones had a really good weekend. You know, I thought Klapka had a really good weekend and those three you know, like I said before, you're trying to find what the right fit is and the right mix, and, and I think it's been good. He's got, he finds a way to get points. And, and for some reason, sometimes there's guys that the puck follows them around a little bit, and Rory's kind of one of those guys.
1: Last couple for you, Coach, and, and as you get ready for this week, this is your busiest week yet. You've got the two games midweek, then you're on the road and over the weekend in Ontario. First first time this year you've kind of really had that that busy midweek schedule and the weekend games. Just how how good a thing is that for the group that you are, are able to have a uh, much busier week ahead?
0: Well... I'm not sure if it's good for the group or not, but we'll see as, as we go. But uh, the focus has been is, is to make hay while we can, and I think we've done a pretty good job of that. And these are sometimes in the American hockey league, it usually happens to every team, maybe, you know, two, three times a season where it's a grind. And, you know, like, you fly all day yesterday, commercial flights, whatever it is. It's a long day and then I I give them the day today. Uh, It's like a maintenance day and so now we're right in the pregame state in a couple games and then we'll finish, jump on a plane again, you know, and fly back down to California and play there two out of three games. Then we fly back and then we play two more games right, right away. I think it's Tuesday, Wednesday at home against Tucson next week and and that's as far as I'm looking, you know what I mean? Because we got we have six games, in, in essence, in the next seven days, uh, seven, eight days. So we know we're going to be busy. Um, the group has done a pretty good job up until now, that's for sure. And so now it's going to be one of those things. We'll have to manage them as best we can. Um, but we've gone through some sticky situations, a little back-to-back, some tougher games. So I think it's prepared us well. And, you know, I can't wait to see where we're at in two weeks, you know what I mean? Because yeah. Like I said, every team goes through it, and we're just going to have to find our way through it, and hopefully we can keep uh, rolling like we've been doing.
1: You've got Bakersfield at home, then uh, Ontario on the road. What do we know about uh, the two teams that you've got this week?
0: Uh, Just Ontario's always got, um, and and well, both of them. Both of them always usually have fairly potent power plays. They're always usually higher end skill. I feel like, uh, you know, uh, Bakersfield's always got some more kind of grittier, harder guys. So it'll be interesting to see if that's the same kind of how they are this year. We've been watching them a little bit. And so, and I know there's been some turmoil and obviously Edmonton and stuff. So you never know if that's coming down. They, they do have Jack Campbell there as well in that. So there's some, there's, they've got some things going on there. So I would love to quietly you know have a couple of good games against them and just be done with it. But uh, you never know. And then when we get on the road again in Ontario, I always find them to be a tough team at home. You know, and their, uh, like I said, their skill, if you if you mess up or you're in the penalty box, they usually can kind of make you pay. So hopefully these are like two teams. Again, we keep playing the way we're doing and, and you know, keep uh, finding a way. Sometimes we're going to bend, and uh, just as long as we're not breaking, then we keep with it, but we should be fine.
1: Great stuff as always, Coach. Really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for doing this. We'll talk to you next week, and uh, good luck this week, hey?
0: Thank you very much, boys. Yeah, hopefully I'll get a chance to talk to you next week. Or might be in an airport somewhere. That's a good
1: point. You might yeah. be uh, you might be flying somewhere. busy. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll roll with the punches. Thanks, coach.
0: All right, thanks, guys. Take care.
1: That is Trent Call. He's the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers. Boy, they are they are an absolute wagon. And you know, I know there's a lot of negative swirling around this team right now, but there are two really. Almost overwhelming positives with what we've seen from the Flames this year. Number one is their willingness and their almost that they've almost gone out of their way to integrate young players into their NHL lineup. Right from Zeri started with Coronado, then Zeri and Pospisil are Soloviov. still playing. Solovyov got his opportunity. I know Desimone is a little older, but. He's only, this is what, what he's got like seven NHL games under his belt. They're, they're keeping him in the lineup.
3: They've been without Dustin
1: Wolf for two games. Well, and then they called Dustin Wolf up primarily for injury insurance, but they get him a game. They didn't necessarily have to get him a game, but they did. And so that is a big time positive. They said, we want to be younger. We want to give younger players a chance and 14 games into the season, big green check mark on that front. And then the other, the other overwhelming positive is even with, their leading scorer in the NHL, their two-time goaltender of the year in the NHL, they're still winning hockey games in the American League with the Wranglers. The Wranglers have an 850 points percentage. Yeah. They're 8-1-1 one one to start the season. Like so, So you've got them going out of their way, to integrate young players at the top level. And even as they're doing that and using their American League team as their feeder, Trent Cole's team with the Wranglers is still rolling off wins. And Oscar Dansk is having a great weekend. And Klapka's stepping up. And Karens is stepping up. And Coronado's playing well. It just, those are two really, really positive things that we've seen this year
3: you mentioned an 850 win percentage that's 158 higher than the next closest team the Hershey Bears it's 692 now there's a little bit of a games play discrepancy there the Wranglers have played 10 Hershey's played 13 but that is a massive gap between number one and number two early in the season And as you mentioned without their leading scorer, without Pospisil who uh, Trent call did say was that had been their best all-round player at the time of the call-up. Without their starting goalie, they've done it with a couple of wins over the weekend. Like certified wagon, the Calgary Wranglers are. Yeah.
1: Good way of putting it. They really are a wagon. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. As we start to wrap things up this hour on Flames Talk, and that was the future of the flames, brought to you by Oncolytics Biotech, fighting cancer by unleashing the power of the immune system. To learn more about how they believe they can give patients more time, visit OncolyticsBiotech.com.